Psalm uh, 19, and some of us, some of us have sung that hymn uh, from a long time ago and enjoy it and delight in it, but uh, uh, thank you for singing it together. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, this evening to 2 Peter chapter 1, page 1018 of the Blue Bibles, if you'd like to use uh, one of those this evening. We considered uh, last week this same passage that we'll be considering uh, this evening as well. We considered it as we began this five-sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, and we defined uh, this idea of spiritual disciplines as those practices, exercises, habits, or even uh, routines that are found in the Word of God and that have been practiced by the saints of the church throughout the ages and which lead to our growth, our growth in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually where 2 Peter ends. 2 Peter ends with this final exhortation given to us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are things that we know uh, and grace that is given to us and implanted in us when we come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are to grow in those things that have been gifted to us. Now, these disciplines, as we talk about them now, one specifically this evening, and then three more in the weeks that follow, these disciplines are in no way contrary to the grace of God that is at work in our lives or to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but instead these disciplines that God has given to us are actually dependent upon those things, dependent upon the grace of God in our lives, dependent upon the presence of the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. Now, as I read this for us last week when we read this passage, I had us focus on a particular phrase from verse 5. Verse 5 has the phrase in it, make every effort. And that's paralleled by a similar phrase in verse 10 where it says, be all the more diligent. And then in verse 15 as well, where Peter holds out himself as an example, as saying that he himself, I will make every effort. So that was our focus then. As I read it now for us tonight, pay attention to the use of the word knowledge and to know and to recall and to Remind. That's what I want us to focus on this evening as we look at this, as we reflect on what I've called the discipline of cogitation. And uh, I'm well aware that cogitation is an awkward word. Uh, I may regret using all of these words that rhymed with Asian uh, at some point. But in any case, what we're talking about is biblical thinking, thinking like a Christian, or just plain thinking. You're a Christian and you're called to think. It's the discipline of thinking that we are speaking of this evening. So listen to this portion of God's word with that particular focus, with that idea in mind. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Great God in heaven, we again thank you for your word, and we thank you for this word in particular uh, that you gave through your servant, Peter. Spirit of God, you inspired him to write these words to your church and they are now living words. We pray that you would help us as your people to take them into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives this week. Thank you for it and be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin tonight with a rather extraordinary statement. Here it is. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of of Christ. If that statement was not in Scripture, and it is, but if that statement was not in Scripture, and somebody was up here preaching and said something like, we have the mind of Christ, I might have some questions. I might kind of wonder, what does that mean? And what are you trying to say when you say we have the mind of Christ? It is, in fact, as I said, in Scripture, and even with the fact that it's in Scripture, I'm really not sure that I understand it in full, but I appreciate the weight and the idea that is behind that statement where Paul says we have the mind of Christ. I want to read it to you in context, if you would like to read along with me. I'm going to be reading a few verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin at verse 12. Now, remember the, the theme that we're talking about here. We're talking about knowing about cogitation, about thinking, about what we know, how we know what we know, how we're able to act upon that which we know, and what has happened to give us what is called here the mind of Christ. From verse 12 then. 
Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Now, that's a lot that's being said in that. Let me try and break it down uh, as, as clearly, at least, as I can or hope to this evening. Here's the idea that I think Paul is referring to. As image bearers of God, as the creation that was created specifically after and in the image of our God, we have a mind, we have a brain, if you will. We were created with the capacity to think, to know, to recall, to remember, to discern, to reason to figure out why, to analyze something, to create, to understand, to figure things out. We were created with that capacity, the faculty of cognition, the faculty of the ability to think. We are not, as one writer puts it, we are not simply brains on a stick, which is true, but nevertheless, we are the thinking being. We, we think thoughts after God. We think thoughts about God, and that is how he created us. However, in our rebellion, as a result of our rebellion against God, we don't think as we ought to think. We don't understand as we ought to understand. After the fall, humanity, our first parents, and all that came after them, we still have a mind. We still have the capacity for thought and for some level of reasoned thought. But here's the reality from Scripture. The reality from Scripture is that the mind is darkened. The Bible says that we have a darkened understanding. We have become futile in our thinking and in our thoughts. Now, that doesn't mean that unsaved or unchristian people can't think significant and wonderful thoughts about this world, but it means that they never reach their end. They never reach their end, which is to glorify and enjoy God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and according to his name. For the thoughts to reach their end, they have to go all the way to that place. But there is a futility and a darkness that characterizes our minds. Paul writes, the God of this world, Satan, in other words, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Blind minds, 
unable to understand spiritual truth, unable to look at the Word of God and say, that is truth that is from God. How do I live that and believe that in my life? They are unable to do that very thing. That is our natural or our fallen state. And here's where I think we're picking up on what Paul is saying here. That's our state until the Spirit of God, in effect, removes the blinders, illumines us, and grants to us the mind of Christ so that we can understand spiritual truth, so that we can understand spiritual truths. In, uh, in confessional language, in the, in the language of the, in particular, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but it's in the confession as well, we talk about this as effectual calling. The, the question is asked in the catechism, what is effectual calling? And the answer, at least the part of the answer that I want to focus on for us this evening, the answer to that is that effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit whereby, and I'm going to cut off the beginning of this and cut off the end of this, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ. The work of God's Spirit in enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ. The Spirit of God then grants us the mind of Christ so that we can understand and so that we can believe. Now, 2 Peter has this exact same idea at the beginning of it. Verse 3 from our passage now in 2 Peter, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Through that knowledge that has been implanted into us by the Spirit of God, we've been given, granted, everything that pertains to life and to godliness as well. This renewed mind, this enlightened mind, contains the seed of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that has been implanted into it. It has been put inside of us, and it is the cause of our spiritual rebirth, of our ability to understand the things that are written in the Word of God and to see that they are true, that they are true, not just generally true, but that they are true and they give us hope because we personally can believe and trust in the things that have been revealed in the Word of God. Now, I know that's a lot. It's a lot to take in. But, but having just said it, there are some implications of this. I'm, I'm sure there's any number of implications, but I'd like to just draw out several of them for just a moment, only briefly, to show some implications of this. I, th I think the first implication of what we have just stated is humility and thankfulness. Okay? If we have the mind of Christ, we have the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ has been granted to us by the Spirit of God. We did not gain the mind of Christ because we were somehow smarter than other people, wiser than other people, and we were able to figure out the mind of Christ, discern the mind of Christ, receive the mind of Christ, and take it into us on our own. It was granted to us. It was gifted to us. We have the mind of Christ because the Spirit of God has implanted it into us, and that ought to give us great humility. 
I don't know about you. I know this is true for me. I have to remind myself of that. That's not something I'm just saying for the sake of being nice. I have to remind myself of it when I'm interacting with non-Christians because so many times I listen to what they're saying, I listen to the points that they're making, I see the decisions that they're making, and I go, how can you not understand how dumb this is? How can you not understand that this makes no sense at all? What you are saying is the good life, what you're pursuing, and things like that. And it's frustrating to me. I get angry about it, and I'm very tempted to feel pretty good about myself, to think, well, gee, many, I think a lot better than them. Well, it's true that I think a lot better than them, but not because of me. It's true because the Spirit of God implanted the mind of Christ. And it's the mind of Christ, that seed that is growing inside. So anyway, humility is the first thing that I think this brings out. The second thing that it brings out is our dependency. Any cogitation that we do is certainly dependent upon the initial work of the Spirit of God in our lives and the ongoing work, the ongoing work of the Spirit by which He is renewing us and transforming us according to the mind of Christ. When we come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are granted a new life. We are born again. And as I said with the seed analogy, the fact that we are born again implies that we are babies, and babies are supposed to grow, and babies are supposed to learn, and they're supposed to develop all aspects of their being, including their knowledge, what they know, and what they're able to do with the knowledge that they have. And that's why the Scriptures can talk about us being in Christ, a new creation, but also at the very same time talk about the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in renewing us. We're renewed day after day after the image of Jesus Christ at work within us. So we're both new and being renewed as well. There's a dependency there upon the ongoing work of the Spirit of God <coughs> in our lives. The third thing, so if the first two are the first humility and then dependency, the third thing, and this is the, well, I'll stop this uh, right with this point here, is agency. Agency. Upon this grace and gift of God, Within this grace, we are re-gifted agency with respect to our minds and our cognition and our thinking. We are enabled, we are commanded to think. As Christians, as believers, we are called to think about God, to saturate ourselves in thoughts about God and about the greatness of God. We are commanded to engage our minds before the work of the Spirit of God in our lives and planting in us the mind of Christ. That would have been futility, right? That would have been blind walking around in the dark, feeling our way here and there. It would have been futile for us to have tried to engage our minds in spiritual thoughts at that point until the Spirit of God begins that work. Once the Spirit of God begins that work, His work in us, then the command comes to us. Now engage. Now engage. I've, I've restarted this mind of yours. Now start thinking with it. Be mindful. Contemplate these things. 
For a moment, consider this. There is a common conception, or better yet, a misconception with respect to being a spiritual person, whereby spirituality is regarded as mind emptying, as, as mindless. And the idea of spirituality, sorry, I don't often need a drink, but something's got me. And the idea of spirituality is don't think, just feel, just be. And frankly, that can creep into the church as well, where, where, you, where you kind of check your minds at the door as you come into the church and you enter into an emotive experience whereby you close your eyes and you just are with the people of God in a particular place. That's not biblical spirituality. We have the mind of Christ and we are invited to use the mind of Christ to know him, to be a people who are mindful. Consider the many, and far more than I'm going to blitz us with right at the moment, but consider the many biblical passages that call us to this. Uh, one of my favorites that I, I memorized years ago was from Hosea. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as sure as the dawn. Or, or what's the greatest commandment, teacher? Well, or, or what's the greatest commandment? And the, and, the, and the response is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Or for a moment, turn your bulletin over with me for just a moment. I can't hope to comment on each of these verses, but let me uh, <clears throat> at least read these for us. From Matthew 16. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Peter, speaking thoughts that were not the Lord's thoughts. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. By implication, Peter... Repent of your thinking. You're speaking right now, but you're speaking out of a mind that is set on the things of man. You need to reset that mind of yours. And let's look at how Paul picks up on this same idea in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So the implication there is you've got a responsibility. You've got a responsibility as a spirit-quickened person to set your mind on the things of God. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, you've got a mind, this is the same idea, you've got a mind, you've got the mind of Christ, have this mind among yourself, which you have in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, the beautiful, well-known verse from Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. 
Use your mind to think about things that are excellent. From 1 Peter, we read these words, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Our former ignorance was not a neutral ignorance. In our former ignorance, there were passions that controlled our minds. They were the things that were in control of our thought life. They shaped the set of our minds, and it was on the things of the flesh, the things of the world. And Peter says, no, 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 don't go back to that. Don't go back to that place, that former ignorance that you had. And that's what Peter is writing about here in this letter to, uh, in, of 2 Peter particularly. There are false teachers, and the false teachers slash the false prophets are bringing with them a false knowledge that is returning people to the ignorance that they had before, the former passions that were theirs. And Peter is trying to stop them dead in their tracks and say, no, that's not what you need to do. Instead, now returning to 2 Peter and to our, our passage even for tonight. Instead, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. I don't want you to go back to your former way of ignorance. I want you to supplement. I want you to supplement it with more knowledge in your life. The command, of course, that closes is to grow in the grace and knowledge. So let me give you one more passage. Uh, chapter 3 of 2 Peter, next page over if you've got your Bibles open. Verse 1, this is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Okay, that's what I'm doing with these letters. And, and of course, in the section that I read for us, he's saying to us, I'm not trying to tell you something new. I'm not trying to tell you of virtues that you've never heard about. These are, in fact, virtues that any Roman would have recognized for the most part as well. They would have been able to identify these things, connect with them, and say, yes, I recognize that those are virtuous. I recognize that those are excellent things. Peter says, I'm reminding you of them because you need to think about them. You need to, with your sincere mind, the mind of Christ that has been put in you, you've got to think about these very things as well. Now keep in mind, without my going on and explaining this anymore, keep in mind that biblical knowledge is a relational knowledge. It's a knowledge by which we know God, we know other people. It's an ethical knowledge. It has implications on the way we live our life. It's not the former passions, but it's the new way of the spirit. And of course, it has knowledge and intellectual component to it as well. It has content in that knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, keeping that in mind, how do we then practice the discipline of cogitation, of thinking? Now, I trust that as I've asked that question, you are aware that I might say a thousand things at this point. I'll give you a thousand applications for what this means and what it looks like, like in our lives. I'm forced then to choose. So I'm going to choose a few of these and, and focus on them uh, for the rest of this evening. 
Keep this in mind, whatever I am about to say right now, please understand that the discipline of cogitation must be saturated in word and in prayer. How do you grow in the mind of Christ? Through the word of God and through prayer. Prayer is the one, the verse we all know, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Okay, prayer, beseech the Lord for wisdom, for knowledge. And as for the word, you can consider any number of places in scripture, but this section that follows what we've read or what I just read for us is this wonderful section on the word of God, on the inspiration of the word of God with which Peter closes this first chapter. He says to them, listen, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead of that, that's verse 16, we were eyewitnesses. We saw these things. Things And then Peter goes on specifically to say, the transfiguration, on the mount of the transfiguration, we were there. We saw what took place. We heard the voice. We're giving to you testimony of things that are true, things that we've seen, things that we've witnessed ourselves in Jesus Christ. But he goes down into verse 19 and says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy come from, comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is combating false teachers. He's combating falsehood, and you have to combat falsehood with truth. And Peter is trying to say, I can give you my verbal testimony, I was there, but you have something that's even more sure, you have the prophetic word made more sure. You have what God has given to you made more sure. And it's not just something that somebody thought up, that Isaiah thought up or that Moses thought up, no. It's men who were inspired by the Spirit himself who gave to you this truth so that you can trust the truth and you can grow in the knowledge according to the truth that has been revealed to us. So the word and prayer are foundational, essential. From day one to our last day, Paul said to Timothy, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. So, how do you practice, practically speaking, the discipline of cogitation, of thinking biblically. All right, five, I'll do them quickly. Here you go. Number one, the Word of God says, if you want to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you ready for it? Consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. Consider the ravens. Go to the ant. Count the stars if you are able. And I wanted to start with this one just to throw us off a little bit from what we might otherwise expect. People who love the Word of God should be people who love and know and study the world that God has made. Students of the Word are to be students of the world. Now, can I give you a, a, a little example of this that's a commonplace example? So, Lauren and I have uh, a, a robin, a pair of robins, 
who decided to make a nest in a tree right next to our patio. And we've been able to watch them for the last couple of weeks as they uh, built the nest. And I think I give all the credit to the mama in this one. As we've read, it seems to be the mama and the papa, but it's hard to tell the difference uh, with Robin. So mama gets all the credits uh, in this as we, as we watched her build the nest. And then she obviously at some point laid the eggs she nested on top of those eggs for whatever the required time was. And when those babies were born, then she took care of them. You know, she would go back and forth to the tree, uh, get the fruit, get the worms, bring it back, and, uh, and care for these birds until she finally launched them. She launched them just a few days ago uh, this week. And I don't know how that process exactly takes place but it was a wonderful thing to watch and to see. Now, it's possible <coughs> it's possible, I'm sure, to watch all of that in a completely godless way. To just scientifically understand <coughs> or what is taking place. But that's not the end. That's not the end. The end of it is to see the Lord who made this. The end of it, just to give you a place in Scripture, is to take it to Psalm 104. To see the Lord has provided all of these things, all of these places, and he provides all of the food necessary for all of the beasts of the field and all of the cattle and everything else in this world. And when I watched, one evening I was able to peek in and to see that robin, that mother's wing stretched out over top of the nest and over top of her very young chip, chicks. How can you not watch that and think of Psalm 57 in the shadow of your wings? And, and, and just to give praise and thanks to God. If you want to grow in your knowledge, go to the ant, go to the raven, consider the lilies, and learn. Learn about the God who has made the world, the creator's creation. Second practice, go to the saints. Okay, go to, go to the lilies, then go to the saints. The people of God are a treasury of knowledge of our Lord and of Jesus and his word. And this certainly applies to people who you'd expect to say, go to your parents, to your teachers, to your elders, to your small group leaders, to your pastors. But it can also apply to a friend or two with whom you can treasure the riches of the Word of God with whom you can have contemplation and conversation together. The other way that you can go to the saints is through active and through disciplined reading. God, when he wanted to preserve for his people the revelation of his will of his son Jesus Christ, he did not video it. He could have he could have videoed it, but instead he put it in words and he put it in a book. And it's a big book full of lots of words. Read. Read. Now, we'll get to reading the word, or that's the presupposition of all this. But read the thoughts of those who have read the word, who have studied the word of God. Read the saints and learn from them. So if you want an application, men, two weeks from yesterday... Come over to my place. We're looking at C.S. Lewis's uh, The Weight of Glory and the, uh, the article, the chapter, uh, the, the essay that we're looking at in two weeks, Saturday morning, uh, is why I am not a pacifist. I, I'm sure I read it years ago. I can't remember what it says. So I look forward to reading C.S. Lewis and what his thoughts are on that in the middle of World War II. 
but take time to go to the saints. The third discipline that I want to encourage us in tonight is the discipline of memorization. Now, I didn't look up any statistics on this before this evening's sermon, but can we not all agree that with the advent of cell phones that our memories have gotten worse? If you use your cell phone a lot, I, I think of this in my own life. I think of how many phone numbers I had memorized as a young person. I mean, there were a lot. I, I don't know how many it was, but there were a lot of phone numbers that I had memorized. You know how many I have memorized now? I can barely get my own out. If I pause and really think, I can get Lawrence. That's it. That's it. I've done, you guys, you, you, many of you are very close friends. I, I don't have a clue what your phone number is. I don't have a clue how to get places anymore. Remember, you used to always memorize how to get places because you didn't want to look at a map all the time. But now, who has to remember, remember those things anymore? It's right there. Anyway, I didn't look at it. We have to exercise our memories. It has to be a discipline and it should be a practice in our lives. And I want to give you two areas uh, and then I'm going to give you one more for memorization in a moment. Scripture memory and hymn memorization. Scripture memory. Make every effort to lay up the word of God in your heart and mind. The act itself will result in meditation upon the word. You choose how you would like to do it. Memorize some scripture. If your kids are in a Christian school, hopefully if they're in our Sunday school, they're given scripture to memorize. Memorize scripture. Maybe you did it when you were younger. I'm a navigator or was a navigator. Um, and scripture memory was a navigator thing. I laid up tons of scripture in my head as uh, a college student. And it's all still, well, it's not all there as fresh as it was, but a lot of it is at least still there. And it continue, and Lauren continues to do that practice, writing them on file cards or whatever it takes. Take your favorite verses and just write them on some file cards and memorize, study, and work to memorize those things. And then the other thing that I want to say is memorize the hymns. Take your favorite hymns and commit them to memory. We've been talking a lot about the hymns in Sunday school. This is truth from the saints distilled in a way that makes it easy for us to remember. Learn the hymns. Memorize the hymns. If you will take one hymn for two weeks in your family devotions and work through that hymn for two weeks, you will have it. You, I, mean, I don't know, three weeks, whatever. You will have that hymn in your mind. You will be able to say it, sing it and put the hymn book down and sing that hymn. Memorize the hymns. And when you memorize your favorite ones, you will have them. You will have them accessible to you in the middle of the night. When it's dark and you've had the nightmare or you've got the thoughts that will not go away, you've got the hymn. You've got it right there that you can sing and rehearse the truth back to yourself as you work your way through that hymn. You can sing them, you can reflect on them when you are in traffic. I told somebody, I, I told somebody this week that they were talking about, oh, I can see how it's strange to be in the church when you're by yourself because it's a big building and you're by yourself. I come into this room by myself, I think there's nobody else here, and I sing. I just stand up here and I sing the hymns. And I, and I actually, I kind of look out and pray for you guys as I'm singing the hymn, knowing where you're sitting in various places or where you tend to sit in those places. Get the hymns inside of your head. You can do it. You can do it. 
and your kids can do it as well. All right, sorry. Fourth discipline, organization. Here's what I mean by the organization. Without some means of organization, your biblical thought life is easy, frankly, to get all jumbled up and to get very fuzzy. Now, if you were to go to seminary, you would find that the seminary curriculum, generally speaking, is given to us under four categories. Biblical theology, which is the study of various books and chapters of the Bible, and then systematic theology, the study of themes throughout the Bible, and then historical theology, what has the church thought about those things over the course of the millennia, and then finally, practical theology. What are you supposed to do with that? Now, whether or not that's the perfect division or not is not what I'm discussing tonight. What I'm trying to say is there's organization to it because you organize your thoughts so you can process and hold on to those thoughts. Our fathers in the Reformed faith were convinced of the necessity of this for the church. They were convinced that much of the error that the church had fallen into was a result of a lack of knowledge. And so they were passionate about saying, how do we get the faith into a form so that the people can have quick, easy, reliable, memorizable access to the truth about God? Their answer, confessions and creeds and catechisms. Remember those things. Memorize those things. Lay them up inside of your hearts. Get them inside of your heads at an early age. Get them inside of your children's heads at an early age. And I'm not suggesting that that would be the be-all and end-all of your faith. But once you have those things stored up inside of you, they become for us this framework in which we can understand and love God. So I include the catechisms oft times in our services. I do it not only because it complements well with the sermon, but because I hope that through the repetition of this, we will learn these things. That, that anybody in this church, and I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, if I said, what is your only comfort in life and in death, that you would be able to give me the answer to that. That you would be able to give it to me on your sickbed, on your deathbed that you would be able to whisper out that I'm not my own, but belong, body and soul, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those things are given to us. They're, they're a treasure that's given to us by the saints to say, organize. Organize your thinking in the faith. Finally, the last discipline that I wanted to give to us tonight is that Proverbs tells us, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Here's an interesting thing. Hebrew doesn't distinguish between the heart and the mind. There's not like a word for heart and then a word for mind like you have in Greek or like you have in English. And the distinctions that we would have easily for us in English speaking about that, this is what the heart does, this is what the mind does, they're not there in Hebrew thought. So you could as easily and perhaps better translate that, guard your mind for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your mind. Watch what you are thinking about. Take a check periodically and evaluate what's going on inside of your head. Ask yourself, are these things that are excellent, things that are honorable, things that are trustworthy, things that are true? And if it's not, repent, recalibrate. Okay, sing a hymn, 
If there are thoughts that are going through your head that you know that's wrong, that's sinful, that's according to the old foolishness and ignorance that I used to have, recalibrate it with a hymn. All right, there's a couple of things for you. Choose. You choose. One or two of those things, lay hold of them. Lay hold of them. Paul writes to Timothy this. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's the Christian command. Think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding. Why will he give you understanding? Because you have the mind of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us to grow in you. Help us to think after you. We thank you for enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ so that we might understand and know you and love you. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, let's stand and respond together with this, with him.